0: The Empire Podcast this week, we're all about The Hobbit. We review it, we boil it, mash it, stick it in a stew, and we talk to three of its stars, Martin Freeman, The Hobbit himself, Richard Armitage, Thorin Oakenshield, and Andy Serkis, a.k.a. Gollum. But there's other things as well, so come in, warm yourself by the fire, have some Lembus bread, and settle in for the night. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to The Empire Podcast, the only movie podcast that, just like Idris Elba Pacific Rim, is cancelling the apocalypse, because we've got a delivery from Emerson, and we got away in between eight and five. They don't specify what time they arrive, so we got to cancel the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm joined by three members of the Podcast Fellowship who will accompany me on a metaphorical quest to drop movie chat into the heart of a burning pod volcano. First Officer, Resident Lord of the Rings expert, a man who knows his Balrogs from his Bombadils, but never mind what he calls his testicles. He's ventured here from the darkest depths of the land known as Saf of the River. Well done for Megan at One Piece, Nick the Similian. Yes, Peckham Wright is fair teaming with Orc. <laughs> uh, but I am here. I'm here. You're here. Yay. <laughs>
1: There's yeah, bunting and balloons.
0: Uh, next up, we have a man whose curly hair and bouncing and bonhomie means that he's our very own hobbit. Plus, he lives in a hole and walks around with no shoes on. And frankly, you've got odor problems. Ali Plum. <laughs> Yeah, uh, particularly around the feet area And uh, last but not least, it's the return of a woman Uh, Well, she was on last week's podcast, but she was a bit away in the meantime From from us in real life, so she's back Uh, And like Galadriel, she's an ethereal figure (laughs) Famous throughout the length and breadth of the land for her legendary mince pie fudge Mm -hmm. Says here, pause for effect, and schoolboy sniggering it's only it's only Helen O'Hara. Hello. <laughs> if she brings any fudge. Um, I, I'm going to bring some in next week, just before we go off for Christmas. Just to clarify, you bake. You use actual. Yes, we're yes. not using it as a euphemism no, for any sort of. You, you do. You you are like a proper baker, aren't you?
2: Um, I, you I hope so. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Just uh, now we've got that out of the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> On to the meat of the matter. You, you sent in questions, of course, via Twitter uh, at Gaston Grimsdyke asks. You are making a new Mount Rushmore. Which four actors, actresses, directors are immortalized in stone? That's mm, a good question. It is a
2: good question. I've got three immediately. Okay. Billy Wilder, Steven Spielberg, Joss Whedon. Possible <laughs> Joss my, my personal preferences <laughs> are showing through just a smidge. Joss Whedon.
0: <laughs> I, I love right. the man, uh, but no, I don't think he should be immortalized.
2: I, I just think it'd be amusing.
0: Emma Rushmore. Emma Stone? <laughs> <laughs> the Rock? The
3: Rock,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. De, De Niro, Ke- Streep. Lassie, Walton Goggins. <laughs> <laughs> Ali's clearly been thinking about this, okay? De Niro? Yep. Streep? Yep. I'm with you. Lassie? You, you, you
3: can't. Halstrom or the dog? Ooh. <laughs> That's a good suggestion. I'm going to stick to the
0: dog. I want Halstrom. <laughs> and what was the other one? Uh, Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins. Awesome. I,
2: I should point out perhaps at this venture that uh, Ali and I went and saw Django Unchained last night, that might have slightly.
0: Is he awesome in it?
2: Coloured his. We um,
0: can't say anything. We're embargoed. Yes, you can. Peter Bradshaw's review's up in the Guardian. It's really good. This is out front. Oh, you okay there? Yeah, I just have have a a cough. cough. And do you have a cough? Yes. Uh, Okay. It's 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 really good. (laughs) Apropos of nothing, how's how's Walton Goggins? How's your cough? Uh, Fine. Uh, Okay. Anyway, so uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Clint Eastwood looks like he's already chiselled out of stone. That makes sense. Um, Frank for Men in Black. I don't. I don't really know. I I honestly. Doesn't uh, it make sense to have four
4: actors who have famously played presidents? Oh, that's More good. See, so, see, Nick's been thinking oh, about this. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Ooh, I just did some thinking.
2: I saw Bruce Greenwood this week. He played uh, JFK very well in 13 right, days. Okay. Let's Anthony put him Hopkins on there. as Nixon. Good. Yeah, uh, because Nixon's definitely something yeah, you want to immortalise that way. Yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis, obviously, from Lincoln. Yeah. And oh, Martin Sheen.
0: Twice. <laughs> <laughs> not not Martin Sheen. You're obsessed with Martin Sheen and Joss Whedon. Is, is is very it's very well done well done Helen it's, it's very not good an obsession. Bill Pullman Independence Day there you go stick oh, him on a mountain
2: well he's inspiring Donald he saved the world
0: from escape from New York we're just doing the movie president's question again that we did a few weeks ago but Sorry uh, about that that's it so are least are these giant heads or are we actually encasing these these guys in, in stone?
2: They're giant heads, Chris.
0: Frozen forever in, in a <laughs> silent scream. No?
2: No, it sounds okay. a bit, that sounds a bit uh, carbonite.
0: Okay, all right. Uh, this one's from at Champ atChampCelluloid. Uh, what do you guys make of Cineworld's takeover of Picture House Cinemas? This is the news. I don't know if you missed it. Um, it'll mean nothing to anyone who doesn't live in the UK, but um, Picture House Cinemas, which is a wonderful art house chain, uh, I think Phil's still off crying <laughs> about that. <laughs> um, it was sold last week, or this week rather, for £47 million to Cineworld, and now lots of people are worried that Cineworld are going to take it over and commercialise it and homogenise it, but hmm. I don't think that's going to be the case. Well,
2: I think if they paid £45 million pounds for it, it's probably because they see a value in its business model as as things stand. Yes. And therefore, why mess with it if it's working, uh, I would have thought.
3: I was saying this earlier, but of all the big chains that I was happy, I'd be happiest to let take over Pitch House. I think Cineworld's probably it. I have a soft spot for Cineworld because they're unlimited cards. Oh, yes. Which have been really important to me as I've been growing <laughs> up, uh, regularly watching two or three movies a Saturday, and it's, it's thanks to them. So, I don't know, they reassure people who've been getting a bit upset on the internet that they're not planning on changing the Picturehouse House thing, but they are planning on making new Picturehouse House cinemas.
0: Precisely, I don't, I don't see, frankly, how they could change a lot of things. A lot of picture house cinemas are very bespoke cinemas in quite old landmark type buildings, for example, the Duke of York's down in Brighton. I don't see how that could be possibly converted into multiplex, so mm. I don't think that's what they'll be, they'll be doing. I think it's a good thing, uh, Champ Celluloid. It's a good thing. Okay, at Tamas underscore Molnar 007 asks, have you ever tried to use movie dialogue as a pickup line? Nick, as the playboy of the podcast, <laughs> I'm coming to you. No, I haven't. I, I, I never used a pickup
4: line. I, no. It would be it would be ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. They've just got the line: get to the chopper. As yeah, my head. <laughs>
2: do you know what? That is d- the last minutes. If you ask that, that's the line that's been going around my head yeah. as well. Dude, so what's wrong with us?
4: Would that work? The jury's out. It'd be great if you could. Only, if you had to try and pick someone up using only Arnold Schwarzenegger one-liners,
2: that would be incredible. Be
4: who is terrifying. your who Who is your daddy? And what does he do?
0: <laughs> I don't think that would quite work. Give me your clothes, your boots, and
2: your motorcycle.
0: <laughs> but. Um, Put that cookie down. <laughs> I don't know who I'm trying to pick up <laughs> Frankly,
3: Like Nick I've never used a pick up line to pick up anybody ever um, But there is a line that I'd love to If I ever had the gumption And it's from one of my favourite movies Which is The Muppets Christmas Carol Which is when <laughs> uh, when a teenage Scrooge uh, Bumps into his lady love at the party <laughs> He bumps into her and goes Excuse me And then looks at her and goes Excuse me does he? Within the space of two seconds. I he saw goes, the other.
0: he doesn't go full Steve
3: Martin. Yeah, he goes, excuse me. He doesn't go, excuse,
0: excuse me. me. No,
3: but in a sexy way, he goes. In a sexy way. Well, excuse me. Oh, my word. Goodness. So yeah. a double excuse me bomb. I'd like to
0: pull that one out one of these days. Getting quite hot under the collar here. <laughs> like. What's a great line that Stephen Topolowski says to Mary McDonald in sneakers? Um It goes, I think it's something like, do you want to meet me for breakfast tomorrow? Do you want to have breakfast with oh, me tomorrow? Shall so, I like, call you or, or nudge you? you? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> did that, how did that work out for him? It doesn't work out. It doesn't work. Well, out she's out not into, She's not into him. She's with Different Robert Redford. Robert Oh my God! Now she's with Robert Redford, and she's only getting. She's only getting with Topolowski to get to a password. What a heartless bitch!
2: Oh, yeah. that's pr- the president you're talking about there. That that, that's, another that's president.
0: Respect? Yeah, that's Stephen Topolowski I'm talking about. Come on, you can't break his heart. Well. The man is made of gold. Wow. Well. <laughs> okay That's what uh, I have to say I've never I've, no, I've, I've never used uh, uh, I'd
2: like to have the gumption To use a May West line But let's be honest I don't really No You know no. Come up sometime And see me
0: Oh my One god those. Okay At Mark Atisha asks Must we be, be fanboys For everything What franchises Would you rather skip He's right we You know Not mm-hmm. everyone loves everything No uh, Especially you know Broadchurch Empire Everyone has different tastes Absolutely I for example Have never seen a Twilight movie
4: Neither have I. I, I, but I would like to watch it at some point. I I like to see everything. Um,
0: you don't have time. You don't have time. Life is short. Life is short. Some films. So there's just no, there's no you don't series that I would say no. I'm never going to watch that. No, it's not an anything. Okay, I'm never going to watch it. But it's just if I have time pressures and you know, frankly, I'm going to die at some point. I don't <laughs> need to see the Twilight films. Yeah. I don't need to see them. That's
4: not. That's not. I a, skip all the dance movie series. The step
2: ups and. Yeah, the, some of the step ups are
0: actually quite fun. You
2: I should immerse in yourself
0: in the step up movies.
2: Um, the step ups are funny, the, the others, not so much.
0: Okay. I think. Yeah, I, I gave up on the scary movie franchise after three. Oh, goodness, I was just thinking about Come on, guys. There's another one coming out with Charlie yeah. Sheen and Lindsay Lohan. Scary
2: movie five
0: next oh, no. year. Oh, so I only missed one. <laughs> so that's not too bad. Okay. I'm about to miss two. Yeah, and that's the, the fact that I haven't seen the Twilight movies. There's no reflection on their quality. I'm sure they're, they're fine films, I know you you like them. Uh, uh, yeah, they're you, fine. You, well, you you enjoy them. You tolerate them. You, I tolerate you've seen them. Okay.
2: I, I find myself becoming a defender of them simply because I, I dislike the Twilight hating more mm. than I dislike Twilight.
0: But this isn't Twilight hating. This I know it's Twilight hating. Uh, I know it's not really going to be for me so therefore I'm not going to watch it Yeah. okay I'd rather watch something else Ali what about you I think I don't have yeah it's
3: years in my life where you sit down and go right I'm going to finally nail Friday the 13th all the way through and you go I don't have the time to do all of these Freddy versus Jason I can't I just can't Mm because then you look at your DVD shelf and go I'd much rather watch Annie Hall three times in a row
0: than watch that watch one to four yeah skip five watch 6, skip 7 and 8, watch 9, Jason Goes to Hell, skip Jason X, which is terrible, and don't watch Freddy vs. Jason. There you go. There are franchises which are
4: a mystery to me who is actually a fan of them, how they're (laughs) continuing Two that I'm not particularly familiar with, the Resident Evil and the Underworld series. And I've never met anyone in real life who loves those and follows Mm -hmm. them. We'll talk about them. I think it's one one of those people just go
2: and see out of some sort of... I want to go see something at cinema. Eh, let's go see that. I I, I don't quite understand how that works. But they're really
4: complicated because I watched The First Underworld the other day. The plot is (laughs) insane. It's so hard to follow. There's so many sort of things going on that it's
0: not just a brainless, you know, it's. It's pretty brainless. It's pretty brainless. There's at one point, um, and I haven't seen it for a long, long time, but I remember watching it getting really, really angry because I think at one point a vampire um, essentially dies and is brought back to life via CPR and I'm just thinking well, hang on <laughs> hang on a second don't you have to have a beating heart and like a blood that goes through your body in order to, for CPR to work this is just stupid
2: well whether know. a vampire's heartbeat depends on what kind of vampire we're talking just to get nerdy for a minute but, okay. Okay. some vampires have beating
4: hearts it seems needlessly complicated there's a scene where Kate Beckinsale gives a <laughs> werewolf a, uh, she chains him up and yeah. goes, you're going to transform here's a gun with a silver bullet shoot yourself it'll slow the transformation and I was thinking what? that doesn't make any sense that's not
0: yeah that, what? Sorry. They weren't. They were making it up as it went along. Pretty yeah, much for that. that's yeah. what I mean. It's
4: it's hard to follow. Yeah.
0: Resident Evil, though, because that gets more successful. I think the last franchise, the last installment, maybe wasn't as successful as the previous one. Which, of course, we all know with Resident Evil, <clears throat> and the. Other one was Resident <laughs> Evil uh, thingy, um, and uh, but people, there's a big market for those movies out there. People there do is, come, and, do come and see them. I
2: have it? to say, I've seen at least three Resident Evils and at least two Underworlds. And uh, the third Resident Evil got me with possibly the dumbest line in movie history, which said that the virus, the T virus, had dried up the rivers. <laughs> now, please, if there are any scientists listening, if you could write into me and explain how the heck a virus can dry up. The Rivers I would love to hear it Well it
4: uses a silver bullet Yes
2: Oh of course It's probably the magic bullet from Wolverine that makes you lose your memory <laughs> oh. But
3: I quite like franchise franchises that you go back to because you enjoy the first one say I'm not thinking of Fast Five here You enjoy the <laughs> first one and the other just go oh god I can't do this there's just too much of the same stuff going on but then there's that kind of reboot slash rejuvenation movie that's Fast Five for me and then you start watching all the others through again yeah. I love having that I actually
2: think the Fast franchise isn't that bad. I mean, two is redonkulous. Mm. They're decent, Um, apart from Tokyo Drift. Well, but even Tokyo Drift, like, Tokyo Drift is great, apart from when anyone opens their mouth. Like, it's the dialogue is so bad in that film. But, like, some of the racing scenes are pretty well done, even though there are a lot of CGI in that one. Four is a return to form. Five is obviously, you know, sublime, and we're (sighs) hoping for the best for six.
4: Yeah, my my good friend The Rock tells me it'll be good. (laughs) Good friend The
0: Rock. He was my good friend first. You met him once. In a car park. It was the best of, the best of times. If you use a movie pickup line. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, thanks for your questions, everybody. Uh, you know how to get in touch with us by now, but if you don't, if you're new to the show, it's very, very simple. We're on Twitter. Uh, we're at Empire Magazine. You can use the hashtag Empire Podcast, which means that we can actually see them and they stand out. Uh, you can Facebook us. We're Empire Magazine once again. And we're on email, podcast at empireonline.com. So do send in anything you want to ask us. Uh, okay, as you might have spotted, there's a small movie coming out, uh, well it's already out because this is Friday and it came out on Thursday, uh, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. It is of course Peter Jackson's return to Middle Earth for the first time since the Lord of the Rings trilogy blazed box office trails and won all kinds of trophies almost a decade ago. But he's not the only person returning, Andy Serkis' is back, 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 this time around is Gollum once again, riddling in the dark with Bilbo Baggins, but he was also, on second unit duties as a director. Nick and Phil Simon went along earlier this week to chat to him.
5: Andy, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about the, this movie. Riddles in the Dark is 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 getting a lot of um, critical praise and people seem to be really responding to it. That must be very very sort of gratifying for you. This is a scene that people have kind of in their minds I think it, from childhood
6: yeah well it's ab- absolutely the, the one that I remember from, from my childhood actually uh, more much more than Lord of the Rings well I hadn't read Lord of the Rings actually when I was a child I, I read it when I was uh, much older but um, but certainly uh, it, it popped out for me uh, I remember when I think I was about 12 I remember reading on the 273 bus going from from my home in Ryslip to, to Ealing and uh, and and um, uh, yeah, it really, just combined with the illustrations, Alan Lee's illustrations, um, it really, really was one of the most memorable uh, scenes in the book. So and uh, so it was fantastic to be able to actually get to play it years and years and years later. Yeah.
5: Well, tell us, you started with that scene, didn't you? You started the shoot with that scene, and, yeah. and you and Martin.
6: Yeah, yeah. It was it was the very first thing we shot, uh, you know, out of 274 days of shooting. Yeah. It was, it was the, the first day of shooting. So... Um, uh, yeah, Pete, I mean, Pete wanted to do it that way for a number of reasons. One, because he wanted to start in a, in a, in a place that we all sort of were comfortable with, a character that uh, one at least one character that he knew very well, and um, and and that the crew could settle back into Middle Earth. Uh, but primarily, I think because because it was going to offer Martin the chance to act with. Um, you know, one other character, or you know, two, but uh, one other character rather than thirteen dwarves and a wizard. You know, which would have been impossible. You know, so so um, that was that was that was the the reason behind it, and the way that we did it was was Peter said, "Look, why don't we treat it as a piece of theatre? Why don't we? You know, we're in Gollum's cave. It's one set. Why don't we just treat this as a." as an explorative um, scene so, so we, we played basically played out the entire thing time and time again all the way through in its entirety every single take over the course of uh, I think it was about 10 days or 10, 12, 12 days or something
4: How much of the set was actually there? It's an amazing looking location but i imagine imagining a lot of it
6: was digital no, it wasn't actually, it was real. I mean, it was very, very, I can tell you it was real. It was, it, was, <laughs> it, uh, it took chunks out of my knees and uh, it was all very, very rocky, real rocks, you know. There were big yeah. kind of sculptural pieces of um, set rock, but a lot of it was actual real rocks. And, um, I mean, Dan Henner, the, uh, you know, production designer, I mean, then the art team are just phenomenal, as we all know on these movies. But that set was was just beautiful and, uh, but very jagged and, um yeah no, so it was definitely. Were you
4: amazing. actually in a little boat?
6: Yep, absolutely, absolutely. I, I put there's a scene where the tiny little shot of Gollum clawing his way across on the on the coracle. Yeah, and uh, uh, no, we did that. We did that for real. And I read that apparently that boat is made out of goblin, not in real life, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a goblin's backbone basically. It's his spine, oh. sp- and then and then uh, and then skin stretched uh, stretched all, around, all all around it. Lovely.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I've always I had a question this goes right back to Lord of the Rings. What are Gollum's pants made of?
6: They are made of um I think they're made of orc's flesh and uh, and and actually some of his loincloth is is made it uh, goes back to when he was a stir hobbit actually truth be told. We we in Lord of the Rings I don't know if you remember but there's a scene at the beginning of Return of the King um which it which, which shows the um the, the the kind of uh the depletion of S- S- smeagol into Gollum, and it's it's when he's killed his cousin and then and then gradually you see this, this montage of of uh, of the hundreds of years which lead up to this moment actually um where we find him at the, in in the hobbit of um of him being yeah thrown out from his from getting out, being an outcast and then gradually going mad becoming schizophrenic becoming addicted and craven and lustful after this ring and um uh, and, and yeah and gradually this costume sort of falls off him and, and the loincloth is, is really the last remaining piece of it yeah so it
4: probably says something about me but yesterday when I saw it again I got wondering
6: whether it's the same one that he wears in Lord of the Rings or does he, uh, yeah, does he, he yeah, sort yeah. of you know go no, out no, no he's, there's no kind of Primark for, for, for ex-Hobbits <laughs> anywhere <laughs> I think that says something about you I don't know what it is
5: though um, tell us about your work um, on Second Unit on this film was that something that as assistant director, you, you talked to Peter about, or had you
6: had conversations with Guillermo as well before that? No, no, this was all very. I mean, Peter's known that I've. This is all very, very last minute. I was only going to go down to New Zealand to reprise the Role of Gollum for, um, you know, for, for the for the two weeks, and that was you know the Riddles in the Dark passage, and that was going to be it. Um, and but Pete, Pete has known that I've uh, been heading that direction for for a long time, and even back as far as Lord of the Rings, he knew that you know he'd seen short film that I'd made and some other. Things I was doing, and then and then after King Kong, I was directing performance capture for video games, and, and one of those video games was shot in New Zealand at Weta, um, which I was directing. And then um, you know I'd been directing some theatre, and I was I'd just been setting up the Imaginarium, which is our performance capture yeah. studio in London, and was uh, you know uh, our, our Slater films were coming, one of them was coming to fruition, was just about to embark on that. And in fact, we just got our investment t- for the company to actually start, and uh, it was literally a few hours later the um, um, the call came from Pete, and this was a four weeks before principal photography, really close to production. Uh, and he said, "Would you like to come down and direct the second unit?" So I went from coming down for two weeks to being there for the for, you know, for the duration. We shot for two hundred days, and it was the most extraordinary kind of um, uh, you know a, a, a chance to, to you know I, you know most most for debut film directors. You know, uh, uh, Working with a handful of actors and a digital camera and two sets and for thirty-five days, and, and that's yeah. that's how we you know we we start off. But but here we are. I was <laughs> that's what the route was going to be, and then suddenly I was suddenly in, on the biggest movie in the world, uh, you know, with a massive crew, kind of hundred and fifty crew, shooting with technic rains and three D and forty eight frames a second, and uh, you know, shooting all the aerials and battle sequences and and, <laughs> and, and and working with a large ensemble of dwarves and you know, I mean, amazing. So for your first actual, directual
5: debut. Yeah. A remake of Intolerance, perhaps, <laughs> just to get started. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's funny because we, we talked to Dexter Fletcher and Jason Fleming about right. Wild Bill, a film right. that you made a great, a great, had a great part in. Oh, and that's, that was I his. I loved working with Dexter. Was a, I mean, he's
6: amazing. Yeah. yeah.
5: And we did, you must have got the kind of, the is flowing for you to think you know he, I want to be doing this sort of thing is well that-, that
6: was already uh, that was I mean when Dexter was doing that we talked we talked obviously but um, I, I mean I was really full of admiration for the way Dexter shot that movie and it is a beautiful movie I think it's, he's done a really really great job with it um, but I mean I was kind of already with the, the the Imaginarium was already sort of up and running and we you know we were just we were just sort of uh, you know, there have been a number of projects. There are a number of because because uh, the Imaginarium isn't just sort of for performance captured movies. It, it its core is is you know it's a creative lab centered around furthering the art of performance capture. But we also have a number of live action films and uh, you know so so it's been yeah this has been a long time in the works. You know,
4: just going back to Second Unit, I'm I'm curious about how it worked with you and Peter. Were you was part of you? I don't want to bother him. I'm gonna I'm gonna make oh, all this God, work no. by myself. <laughs> no no. no. Did you, how many times no, did you get I, to kind of have to call on him to?
6: no i mean i mean the, the way it worked we worked in different ways i mean there's there's obviously um you know you know uh, the, there's pre-visualization so you're looking at kind of animatics of shots of you know some of those big sequences and and Pete wasn't wedded to all of the anim, uh, animatics and previous he would say look these, I've kind of that's quite interesting this is quite interesting so maybe gun for that but but really in some of the sequences it was like me setting stuff up and then him critiquing and he could watch what I was doing on, on second unit from his monitors on main unit and you know I'd get notes I'd get briefed um, I'd come up with stuff and then what would normally happen is I'd I'd do two or three takes sort of show him where we were at and then he'd critique and then say yeah well what about moving the camera you know this way or that or you know so we we had we were constantly talking to each other you know every day Um, apart from on location which is a bit more difficult um, I mean I literally I I spent two months in a in a helicopter um, shooting all the aerials and uh you know helicoptering dwarfs up to the sides of hills and <laughs> and, and it was amazing it made you know on the south island so we were separated and 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 then we just used to send i used to do my selects of shots that i'd done and send them down and then he would get some feedback but but it was uh it was a really great working relationship and the thing the thing about pete is because i've been through the whole middle earth experience before and i, I i've always totally admired his his way of Directing, because it because he's one of the few directors who genuinely knows how to elicit great performances out of people at the same time as being a visionary with a camera and knows how knowing exactly how to support performance with great camera work and you know I've always thought you know he's even before I even worked with him even on Heavenly Creatures even on even on some of his earlier films I, I've always I'd always thought wow if I was directing that's exactly kind of what I'd want to do myself so. It's kind of rather, rather amazing that we've ended up working together in this way.
4: His levels of endurance are, are famous, you know, legendary. Um, but how, how did you manage to keep up with him?
6: Oh yeah, I mean, it is. Look, it's totally exhausting. These jobs, these. I mean, it's, fortunately, this isn't the first, my first foray into into a, a Peter Jackson movie, and I've been through the experience bef- before a number of times now. But, um, but, it, but it, they are stamina jobs there's no question you know you are it is like boarding this ship that's going out onto a rough sea for a, for a, a year and uh, you know you get battered around and and it does take its toll you constantly working at a level of exhaustion that that you you know it's, it's, it's very very taxing and um, you know emotionally and and uh, logistically and and technologically you know you're, you're challenged every single second of every day.
5: Is Gollum a Red Bull guy or coffee or? I mean, he's <laughs>
6: definitely, he's definitely a Red Bull guy. Yeah,
5: yeah, at least. <laughs> at least. I <laughs> want to ask you a bit more about the Imaginarium because it sounds, you know, like it's really kind of starting to kick off now. You've moved sure. to Ealing. That's right, we're in Ealing studio. You but, um, feel the spirit of Michael Balcon? Absolutely.
6: we um, our offices are in Michael Balcon's it's offices. Fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So, so it is fantastic. I love being there. It's such a great scale for us. It's a really cool studio.
5: With your scenes with Benedict, or the scenes with Benedict Cumberbatch doing
6: performance capture
5: for the first time,
6: yeah. Did you
5: work with him on those? Were you (laughs) involved in any way? Sadly,
6: we were. No, he was. um, He actually came down to do his performance capture work during one of the hiatuses that we had. Um... You know, while while um, we, we you know that was bro- broken up into three blocks, and he came actually whilst I wasn't in, but I did, uh, I, I did bump into him um, prior at, at the, in in LA at the BAFTAs or the Golden Globes, I think it was last summer and uh, last um, spring rather, and uh, I've got my northern and southern hemispheres all mixed <laughs> up, um, and. Um, and he just said, Look, I really want to place I more... Mean, I've been working really hard physically on him, and have you, have you got any ideas? And I just said, Well, look, you know, you just got to really push to, you know, don't, you know, you, you'll, you know, it's the, the thing to remember about performance capture is that. For, for a character like Smog, obviously you're not going to be able to do absolutely everything but it's what it's all about the performance it's all about the internal processes the inner life of the character and, and and making acting choices and don't you know so just don't don't forget that it's not just you're not just there to record a voice you know you are going to be doing the physicality you know and um, and that's the interesting thing about it i mean it's it can either be used as a direct one-to-one translation of your physicality, or it can be used in combination with other with other forms of you know puppeteering and digital characters. So, so but 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 the core of it is all about creating the inner life of the character, and, and the your acting choices do come through, oh, uh, you know, in varying degrees.
4: I was just going to ask you mentioned the uh,
6: feature film from the Imaginarium. Can yeah. you can you tell us a bit more about well, that? Yeah, I mean the first the first film that we're we're you know, we're we're actually working on right now. We're in we're at the proof of concept stage. We're having the script written and uh, we're developing the characters. Is uh, George Orwell's Animal Farm? So we're we're headlong into that and hoping to shoot that um, in the last quarter of next year, 2013.
4: Why choose that one other than the obvious potential for you know animals being played by people? But is but, that a particular favourite story of yours? Yeah,
6: I mean, again, it's like it's a fantastic, just the most incredibly powerful story, and and really warrants the use of great actors' performances, and um, and and and. You see, the great the great thing about performance capture is it's it's it, it, choices are made on set in the room with actors, and the drama happens there in front of your eyes and you can have a you know you, you when you're directing you can you can change the course of a scene you can you can evolve the writing you can change the script it's it's a very organic it's like a theater rehearsal process and you and you you know there's there's stuff that that in, in, a, in a you know when you're even just creating previs some of the stuff that might be gold and you've got it you've recorded it it's shot that might end up in the movie otherwise it's a it's just a it's a very it's a wonderful organic process of of um after just having all of these brilliant minds in a room, all of these actors delivering their performances, much like—I mean, it's much—it's exactly the same as filming. Mm. But, but um, so I'm saying, I'm um, for instance, uh, in terms of. Uh, extrapolating performances i mean for instance the pigs would be uh, easier because they grow more human as as uh, as the story progresses whereas say for instance some of the other quadrupeds box of you know we're, we're trying to find interesting ways of, of integrating facial capture with other means of uh, of, of uh, you know providing the movement for, for characters like that so so it's it's in the workshop process you you come up you know you come up with stuff and that's that's why it's um, it's a really cool way of working i think andy I have a riddle for you. Oh no. I am been so been rubbish at riddles. Well, no, I really am. And
5: these are kind of these are starter riddles apparently. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> cool. What starts with T, ends with T and has T in it?
6: It's what starts with T, ends with T and has T in it? The two towers. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it kind of does in a way, didn't it? <laughs> No it ends in S
5: It's actually a teapot A teapot <laughs> A teapot yeah oh, Sorry Andy um, Can we just get a little snippet on Where the story goes from here Because obviously people are going to see the film And they're going to be looking forward to next summer if That
6: would be telling
5: <laughs> um, Precious
4: I do want to ask As a big huge fan of these films I can't wait to see The Battle of the Five Armies Yeah can you give us a little idea of the
6: scope and the scale of that? It's that, going to be intense beyond belief. Yeah, no, it's going to be extraordinary. Um, that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it really is going to be mind blowing. I mean, just I know some of the things that Pete's talking about doing, and you know, some of the some of the locations that we've shot, and, and some of the stuff that, that that's happened already. When we've the penal fields. Oh, uh, penal fields.
4: Thank you so much. Thanks, Andy. Cool. Okay,
0: Uh, stick around for more from the Hobbit himself, Martin Freeman, and Thorne Oakenshield, aka Richard Armitage. But first, it's movie news time. Uh, What have you got, guys? Let's start with you, Nicholas. Hello. Yes, I have
4: Tintin news. uh, Talking of Andy Serkis, Captain Haddock himself. Uh, It's all starting to happen uh, with Tintin Two. Peter Jackson has confirmed that he is going to be working on that next year for a release date of 2015. Peter Jackson met with uh, Anthony Horowitz this week in London, who's writing the script. And uh, that's probably going to shoot in New Zealand, I'm guessing, next year. Oh, cool. So, uh, yeah, we don't know what it is yet. We know that it's going to involve uh, Professor Calculus. It's going to introduce him, who we love. That's not cast yet, I don't think. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm guessing it's going to kick off with Red Rackham's Treasure kind of picking up where the last one finished, and then probably segue into the Calculus affair, which is a story about Calculus being kidnapped. Yes. By villainous
2: Eastern Europeans. And for those who haven't read Tintin, he is the absent-minded nutty professor, basically. Sort of wanders around with a a little, uh, what do you call it, dowsing pendant, uh, trying to find magnetic impulses and things. Uh, Brilliant, but also completely barmy, I think is probably a fair description.
4: Yeah, he's constantly coming up with wacky inventions. So that's how he's introduced in the first place by Mm. Hergé, was with his shark-shaped submersible, which they used to find treasure with.
2: Which I still want, And so, yeah, I haven't been delivered it yet.
4: So, is the reason why
3: um, Stephen Moffat, Edgar Wright, and Joe Cornish aren't involved just because they're too busy, or, you know, the deal was that Peter Jackson would have a different writer?
4: Um, I don't know. They might be involved in some capacity. Uh, The original, I think Stephen Moffat did the first draft and Mm -hmm. then um, they got in.
2: Ed, uh, Edgar, Edgar and Joe,
4: and Joe. to, to yeah. do a polish on it so that the same might happen with this one
2: but they're all pretty busy at the moment obviously Edgar's got The World's End um, Joe's working on his next film isn't he and uh, and Stephen Moffat's working on the next series of Sherlock which is due to start next year so they've got a few things on their plates already
3: and not just that Peter Jackson has also you know he's obviously got the two Hobbits to do uh, or finish off at any rate the mm. two remaining Hobbits but he's also got as I spoke to him earlier this week Dambusters is something he wants to do as he told me straight after The Hobbit as soon as he can he said
2: oh, well, when will he make Temerara mm. honestly
3: so yeah, this it, might it, mean it. that he's going to be doing <clears throat> kind of juggling two things he be doing Tintin with one hand and with the other trying to do his his much loved Down Busters project mm-hmm. so I think that may be what he will do uh, didn't Spielberg do something
0: similar for Tintin he,
2: he was did, doing yeah. two things
0: at once yeah,
2: yeah t- t- overlapped with and, uh, uh, War Horse wasn't it
0: War Horse yeah mm. at the same time Can I play devil's advocate? Does anyone actually like the first Tintin movie? And do we need a second one?
2: I liked it.
4: I do. And yes, I would like to see another one, especially with Peter Jackson directing. I was hoping it was going to be The Seven Crystal Balls, Prisoners of the Sun, because that's my Mm -hmm. favourite kind of Two-parter in the Tintin series, uh, but no, I, I really enjoyed the first one. I thought it I was did great.
2: Too. I thought it was an, another interesting example of uh, a theory of mine, which is that really good directors instantly know what to do with 3D. You saw it with Martin Scorsese and Hugo as well. You know, even though he'd never shot in 3D before, he picked up the camera and he seemed to know what to do to maximise its effect. And I thought Spielberg had the same thing. That that chase through the city down the hill is one of the great kind of pieces of, of action filmmaking in the past few years I think it's absolutely terrific and I really enjoyed the film I, I just liked Tintin from way back.
3: I think it had flaws there were a couple of uh, script writing decisions or perhaps directorial decisions that kind of baffled me when Tintin would kind of state the blindingly obvious as if the audience didn't have a brain in their skull. Look Snowy a clue! Something along those <laughs> lines uh, I think it was outside um, Marlon Spike Hall, um, Captain Haddock's uh, old pile he kind of points at some fish on the wall and goes, oh, that must be something to do with Captain Haddock. You go, well, yeah, and why
0: are you talking to a dog? <laughs>
3: um, but yeah, it had, it had its flaws, but yeah, I did enjoy the first one.
0: Okay, no, I've I just looked up what it did at the box office. It didn't do that well in the States, but it did very well to, um, internationally. So 373 million worldwide, I guess there is an appetite for it. But my my impression was a lot of people were very underwhelmed by it. Um, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I'm not putting forward my opinion, of course. Um, And uh, that they don't necessarily want to see another Tintin movie ever again, even at gunpoint.
4: (laughs) I would would want to see what Peter Jackson does with it because uh, Professor Calculus is one of fiction's great eccentrics. He is, yeah. I'll take your word for that one. And I think think Jackson is at his best when he's got really weird, oddball characters to play with. It's kind of a a
2: bit of a Radagast. I mean, honestly, Sylvester McCoy would would instantly seem like a good... um, so you're uh, saying calculus Professor may calculus. have
0: a, uh, a bunny-powered sled?
2: I would... Well, you know, and and a, a jumper with question marks on it. I think that would be uh, very him.
0: I've just realised this. Professor McCoy's Radagast reminds me of. It's the weird... Uh, Daffy Gremlin from Gremlins 2 with, with the eyes that go around all the woo uh, constantly uh, so yes we'll move on to that at some point we will talk about The Hobbit so there we go that's uh, un- unanimous praise for a Tintin 2 um, <laughs> Ali what have you got for us
3: I've got a couple of small uh, things that i just like to bring up not one big story so um, I'll just kind of machine gun through this uh, Charlie Sheen will be back for Amazing Spider-Man 2 uh,
4: almost definitely Charlie Sheen Charlie Sheen yes
0: <laughs> that'd be amazing Charlie Sheen
3: will be taking over Martin Sheen's role. I want to see that happen. Uh, I was just in the background with
4: some strippers in that.
3: With great power comes, though, I forget. Who cares? But yes, he's back for presumably flashbacks. uh, Because, spoiler, he done-don-doied in the first one. (laughs) He done don And so that's good. He he mentioned this. He says he's going to be shooting in February. So look forward to that.
0: Yeah. And it could be a dream sequence as well. And who knows? Cliff Robertson appeared as Uncle Ben um and and did he appear in Spider-Man 2? I can't remember. He was in 2 and 3. He was in 2 and 3. 2 was a dream sequence.
3: Yes, I believe so. And three was just the footage used from one,
0: but it, within the context of the. Uh, no, three, three was uh, reshot footage because oh, they, they bottom right, yeah. one set and everyone was going, well, How is Uncle Ben in this? And then they re retconned his death to make it part of the Sandman's origin. And I started weeping. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's good to see Martin Sheen back cause we all liked him. I thought he was one of the best things about The Amazing Spider Man, which mm-hmm. is a, a film, I guess, like Tintin, for some people, maybe didn't quite hit home. Yeah,
4: no, nothing against Martin Sheen, but I, I do find Uncle Ben and Aunt May two of cinema's most tedious. Characters. <laughs> I, 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 every time they come on screen, whether it's the Raimi one or this new one, I just honestly. I love Ben so. May. No, Ben. Ben's
0: good. I,
2: Ben's ben, good. I quite enjoy Ben. ben. So but like, why do they
0: never kill that May?
2: We, just, well, we did learn this year that actually, if you marry Sally Field, you will be shot in the head. So yes. you know, this is a, a true bit enough. A,
0: this is true.
3: A danger. Massive spoilers on this podcast. Lincoln dies. This is just beyond belief. Not in The Walking Dead not on the walking dead true enough or maybe oh no 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 no. Um, so Amazing Spider-Man 2 that's that done we've got Samuel Jackson uh, speaking his brains about Star Wars 7 I'm just going to read this out because he was essentially talking to a journalist from E who asked so wouldn't it be awesome if you came back for Star Wars 7 and he totally totally bit that hook and uh, and, uh, went off on one sorry Sam it's kind of true I'm not
0: surprised... He but- off on one. Yeah, well, he listen. He was seen ranting with his shirt off in the middle of a freeway, <laughs> <laughs> swinging a stick as if it was a <laughs> lightsaber. Yeah. Uh, he- here he goes.
3: I'm not surprised but totally geeked out by the idea of there being more Star Wars. It's like, okay, Obi-Wan was dead when episode four started, so maybe everyone thinks I'm dead and we'll find out what happened to Mace Windu. I can come back as a one-armed, a one-handed Jedi that's still around and actually didn't die. This is despite the fact that he fell out of a window to his death. Uh, we never see him die did he show me the corpse did he use the force and then for the next three movies just hide in a hole. Maybe that's just how he
0: leaves buildings.
1: He just <laughs> <jumps>
0: <laughs> <into the> <laughs> Goodbye! It's thing. That's a very good point. Because of all George Lucas's little wiping editing tricks, we never really see Mace makes Windu leave a room. Perhaps, perhaps stick is right. <laughs> to be fair. Just leaps out Maybe of it was minutes. just a <laughs> kind of a joke that he was leaping out to the window.
3: He goes oh. on and says, uh, I could do that or be a ghost hologram. I don't care. I just want to stay associated with the franchise. I just love the franchise so much. I love the idea of it. that There's this whole civilization out there. Civilization out there. Uh, somewhere else that's just as much fun and different and
4: diverse and wild as we are. I can't think of any film that would not be improved by a ghost Samuel L. Jackson
0: just kind of floating <laughs> in during a scene a one-armed ooh, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah, oh, they, should, they should make Deep Blue Sea too, and he shows up as a ghost in that as well. <laughs> <laughs> and keeps, and you think through.
2: water's fast, you <laughs> should <laughs> see ice.
0: Yeah. And halfway through he gets, he gets eaten by a ghost shark. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Hollywood, what are you doing? Come uh, on, get it made. Helen, what have you got?
2: Um, I have the Pacific Rim trailer. Um, Now, obviously, trailers don't lend themselves terribly well to radio, but obviously it's online. Go watch it. This is Guillermo del Toro's Giant Monsters versus Giant Robots story. Uh, So uh, a rift deep under the Pacific Ocean opens to another dimension, and giant beasties known as Kaiju, after the Japanese monster tradition, Mm -hmm. um, come through this rift and uh, are drawn to major population centres around the Pacific, or the Pacific Rim, if you will, um, where they attack. And so Humanity has built these huge robot Jaegers controlled by two people in the head of the robot working in perfect harmony who um, have to fight back. And uh, the trailer looks pretty spectacular. It's the first proper footage we've seen of the robots and the monsters in action, and they're looking pretty good. And we also, of course, as you've already referenced, get Idris Elba delivering the line of next year
0: we're cancelling the apocalypse photophone power to you <laughs> I, wish, I wish you were saying that at the end that'd be amazing sounds a know, little bit like your Ray Winston the power to you that's not bad that's uh-huh. not bad well it's not it's one all of your best oh right. come on
2: now yeah so this is uh, it's shaping up well I have to say you know I don't think he's actually going to be successful in cancelling the apocalypse no next he year, will be we're, we're Idris Elba no but we've got so many apocalypses coming next year like everything. you
0: check so he, he it he appears back oh breaks. ok fine so he appears in every movie that has to apocalypse in it and cancels it. <laughs> it shows up at the end of the, shows end up in, of the world at the, at the beginning
2: end. of oblivion at the beginning <laughs> of after earth at the beginning of you know all just of does them. lots
0: of paperwork to as well. <laughs> I thought see his to-do list cancel apocalypse cancel apocalypse cancel apocalypse cancel <laughs> apocalypse he's shopping. turning into
2: Buffy the vampire slayer <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know yeah. she saved the world a lot <laughs> um, yeah so it's, it's actually shaping up really well it it does seem to look like, a, like Yama del Toro can do huge action as well as everything else um, and we got our first kind of glimpses of of, of the Kaju crew, of the Jaeger crews in action. First, quick look at the Shatter Dome, which is where the uh, the Jaegers are stationed when they're not in use, um, and of people taking refuge in kind of bunkers as a giant monster attacks. So that's very promising, very good looking, and uh, go check it out.
3: Excellent news. For me, what was so delightful about the Pacific Rim trailer, aside from the monsters getting smashed up and the big robots uh, punching them, uh, was the use of essentially the same voice as GLaDOS from Portal and Portal 2, who's the antagonist from those two games, um, made by the same guys that made Half Life and viewed as somewhat uh, brilliant by almost all the gaming community. Uh, so it was brilliant to hear her voice uh, hopefully it's kind of a robotic uh, voice uh, synthesised voice hopefully it'll have the same one liners and gags that uh, she had in the games I don't know what del Toro's going to do with it I have no doubt that he's a fan of the game because you know he's, El he's Toro a gamer He's a gamer, and he's into
0: that sort of stuff when that does just, he have time the man is amazing I've never met anyone like him it's, it's, it's I mean, astonishing I,
2: I was on set of this film yeah, yeah. and he was obviously shooting with the main unit sort of what eight ten hours a day but he was also shooting second unit which was another four hours a day over his lunch break mm-hmm. he edited mm-hmm. um and had meetings you know with the departments with the effects crews and you know because he was shooting in in Canada they were obviously in California would have meetings with them uh, late at night early in the morning um you know his assistant was getting text or uh, emails from him at two o'clock in the morning and then another one at six mm. Well, he, yeah. an, he doesn't no,
4: honestly I've never seen he way. and uh, Peter Jackson uh, go online and play each other at Call of Duty games and stuff like that it's a, it's, it's, it's a feature I've always wanted to do in the magazine celebrity deathmatch where we basically make a team and take on a load of A-list directors who are into gaming mm. at, at some video game I think we might be smashed
2: though I think we'll I, die I don't, but it I, would I, just I, be yeah.
0: funny he was shot in the head Fair by Game well, John Carpenter recently tweeted that he's just completed Black Ops 2 which I just, I just love the idea of John Carpenter playing Call of Duty. He, he's a big gamer as well. So there we go. There we Excellent go. news, guys. Um, okay, now for some more hobbit goodness. Until now, Richard Armitage was best known for being a hunky spy in Spooks and a hunky German double agent in Captain America, the first Avenger. But now, he's going to break that mold with the Hobbit, in which he plays the leader of the Dwarfs, Thorin Oakenshield. Although we must mention that the mold isn't entirely shattered, and a bold departure for Dwarfs, Thorin is hunky. Uh, Again, Nick and Phil went to chat
5: to him about his surprisingly long-standing connection to Tolkien's world. Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Is it true that you you were in a performance of The Hobbit as a kid.
7: I thought you were going to say was I in a boy band? Is it that, true you were in a boy no, band? I wasn't in a boy band but yeah I was in a I Did was, you ever <laughs> want to be in a boy band? <laughs> no. Do you know when we did the Tokyo premiere they had a kabuki cloth and smoke and it dropped and they handed us all microphones and we stepped forward and I was like they're going to want us to sing. This is like being in a Hobbit boy band. But no I haven't. Did you have a dwarf song ready? <laughs> I did. I really did. I was about to do a, a kind of funky version of Misty Mountains but I, <laughs> I think that would have been a huge mistake. Um, uh, yeah I, was in, I did a production of. hobbit when i was 13 at the uh, alex theater in birmingham and i played an elf and Gollum was made of paper mache and there was no money for a dragon so it was just a red light and a puff of smoke from off off stage and and a guy doing a funny voice in the wings so pretty much the same as this movie really
5: yeah and more ambitious in scale absolutely and
7: and a, a whole load more money spent as well
5: what did you have to do? I, I
7: think I ran around in circles eating grapes, you know, like the scene in the book when the elves are trying to tempt the dwarves off the path in Mirkwood. I just seem to remember that scene. And I was wearing like a, a knitted dress that they'd sprayed silver to look like chain mail. But that was... It uh, <laughs> yeah. sounds the
5: most amazing performance. It Is there any video incredible. evidence?
7: It was incredible. Do you using that elfish
5: experience to kind of fuel Thorin's kind of elvish so, rage absolutely <laughs>
7: that all that spinning around has sent him into an absolute frenzy of anger um, <laughs> yeah and do you know what it's funny because you kind of it's it those first uh those first memories of reading the book it's you, you try to go back there at, you know at 40 and remember what it was about the book that really inspired you and You know, my memory's not brilliant, but um, mainly due to drinking too much. But um, but I do, you do go back there and think, God, yeah, as a kid, I just was so, I so loved this book. Andy
5: Andy was telling us that he read it on the bus from, I think it was from Acton to Ealing. Well, that he'd
7: never read it before, that...
5: No, no, I, I think was this was kid. when he was a kid, yeah. He yeah. kind of had that kind of like, memory. Martin pretends of,
7: that he, he'd never read the book and he just read it on the plane or something, but I just think he's being cruel. Everyone's read The Hobbit. Everyone has read The Hobbit, I think.
5: You don't believe him? You think he, he'd read it many he's times? He's just
7: kind of like, yeah, no, I've never read the book.
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, can I tell you a secret? I think we were on the side of Captain America and we saw you reading a copy of The Hobbit.
7: That's where I've met you before. It wasn't us, You're though. You were those spies that came yeah. up with my trailer. <laughs> I was. <laughs> you, I was. yeah. You were working for Hydra in fairness at the I, time, so I was. I was channeling Heinz Kruger, and there was a copy of The Hobbit on my on my desk. But I think at that point, I don't think I'd been cast. I think I was just going in to meet Peter. Is it true that originally there was a different character that you were in talks uh, to do? Um, it's kind of. I. Um, I was contracted to something else and I said look I can't commit to this whole time for, for this one role which I didn't think I was right for anyway because I was figuring how on earth are they going to cast me as a you know five foot two dwarf so they said "Well, there are other other roles that you could read for that have less commitment uh, Bard being one of them but that never that never really materialised they always gave me Thorin to read and that was the only thing we talked about and the only thing we read so I think it was just a way of getting me in the door.
4: But it's kind of a killer role to get it's you know the you're shot in this kind of as if you're a god all the
7: way through it and you get amazing kind of is hero that, moments. Are it, you it? quoting yourself on that?
4: don't think is so. That,
7: are they your words? I think, so. I think um, so. Yeah but no we didn't really know that at the time I mean Tolkien really writes something quite different. His his portrayal of those characters is, is, is quite different from the film but, but there's something that, that the screenwriters have done to lift uh, the essence of those characters and put them into a perhaps a much more action-packed situation than, than Tolkien was imagining. I don't know.
4: Is it true that originally foren's look was much more dramatic, more
7: prosthetics? Yes, it was bigger and heavier and, and actually, uh, yeah, it really did feel like an avatar that we were inside of that, that we would have to sort of operate, like moving the face around was pretty difficult. But we went through like seven different sculpts before it started to really fit my own face without... Without looking too extraordinary, and what what's interesting is that in it, actually, everything goes through that process on the film because it's at forty eight frames, and in three D, there are there are, there were so many things that had to change because when you're looking at it in that detail, if there's any sense that it's not truthful or real, it just doesn't work. So even down to like the chainmail that the dwarves were wearing, which were hand kind of uh, linked, each one has engraving on them. Um and I remember saying to Richard Taylor, Why are you bothering to do this? Because the camera won't see it and he said, Oh no, it will. It will see absolutely everything. So the detail is what determines, you know, the way people are working.
5: You've talked about I mean Thorin, I guess he's kind of a Lee Marvin of the Dirty Dozen
7: in a way. <laughs> and you've talked about how in the book he's quite Was Lee Marvin Bionic Man as well, am I thinking of somebody else? No. Uh, Lee, Majors, Lee Majors. I think. Actually. But, but can we maybe have a combination
5: of both <laughs> <laughs> I'll take well, I'll take Marvin me. Majors um, he he's a tough he's a tough angry guy he brings a lot of agenda yeah. to his scenes and you talked about how you wanted to like soften that and bring a bit of a bit more if not humour then at least kind of warmth and humanity and you see that yeah was that a challenge to, to kind of to kind of bring that out of the script and, and how did you know could you give an example of, of how you might have done that in a particular scene
7: Well, you know, it was actually coming from Philippa and Fran and Pete, from the screenwriters, that they wanted to find that as well. I mean, there was a fine balance. Um, You know, slapstick humour was very difficult to put into Thorin's hands, because at any point, if if you feel that that character isn't taking the quest seriously, then it really does fall apart. He's the one person that has to be saying to everybody else stop messing around take this seriously because you know and you have to believe the severity of what they're facing and you know i had to keep saying to myself don't you, you know you can't take the character too seriously but then there's another side of me saying no you really have to um but in terms of finding the humanity inside of him I mean, that's actually how that's really what Thorin's journey is about and it's weird to call it humanity maybe we could Call it dwarf manatee. But it's <laughs> like, um, it's really because he is a sort of legendary warrior, a very important dwarf, as Tolkien describes him. And he takes himself seriously and is changed by Bilbo Baggins profoundly because he, he learns what it means to be hobbity or dwarfy or human. But we have to call it human, don't we? Because it's, it's how we understand it. You know, that side of yourself which is vulnerable and open and, and questioning. Um, and innocent, you know, all of those things that Thorin has lost because of this experience of this awful holocaust that happened at, in, in Erebor, he's lost all of those things and he's become hardened by life. Uh, and it's his interaction with Bilbo that, that reminds him of who he once was.
4: Talking moments of dwarf manatee, which I dwarf love that word, manatee. by the way. Uh, you're not there for the washing up song, uh, but you no, do you do lead you. off.
7: <laughs> the washing up song. That will be in every panto this year, won't it? Yeah.
4: <laughs> It should be. It should be in everyone. I'd love to see, uh, yeah, Frank Bruno doing it. Um, you, you lead off in that great song, which is in the trailer, which yeah. I think is fant- one of the highlights of the film. But was that a scary thing to see that on the, on the script page?
7: No, I've I, mean, got to sing. I, was, I was gagging for it. I mean, Talking Peppers' is work with poems, and, and it's very brave that they took on that song. Um, I was scared. Of, I mean, I was singing it in a studio beforehand, and so I had lots of time to experiment with different, you know, sounds and tones, we didn't want him to sound like a singer in any way, um, but I just found it sacred and uh, and kind of dwarf main. <laughs> <laughs> you know the idea of that that maybe they'd they'd pass this um, that something on to their to their kin about not forgetting what happened via this song, which I think is often the, where where folk songs come from. So um, I love it. I think it was. I think it's kind of one of those stand, hairs standing up on your arm Dwarf mane. <laughs> <laughs> We've created has, something here. He today. has a dwarf mane on his head. He though, does. Did it?
5: you ever have a a mane in the in the sort of? Do you ever have a soft metal period in the eighties? Or <laughs> is this the your most kind no, of?
7: I, I did have a little. Uh, 80s what 70s 60s 90s i did and uh, there was it was one of the things that was discussed a lot in this early screen test when we were kind of putting the look together they didn't want him to look like a rocker but there was a part of me that was going kind of wanting him to look a bit like a rocker um so which one uh the, the rocker part of me wanted him to look like a rocker
5: well led zeppelin were obviously huge hobbit fans weren't they and that's kind of influenced their music a little bit i didn't know that I think it did is I think Led true? Zeppelin
7: 4 has like Misty Mountain Hop and a like, lot of things that are thing? no. no, it's true why have true. They got Led Zeppelin into seeing the, the, the theme I guess Neil Finn's version of it is definitive so
5: I guess that maybe there's a Kiwi connection maybe in a
7: movie 2 they'll get Led Zeppelin that would be amazing
5: just hard rock anthems throughout or ZZ Top oh even better that's a whole beard thing going on now
4: isn't
5: it <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm I'm curious as to because you have worked on big Marvel movie yeah and a massive Hobbit movie there's issues of um sensitivity about plot details etc mm. how much covertness I mean you've, you're in Spook so you're probably sort of well versed in keeping secrets yes. etc but I mean did I you have that. did you have uh, a brief on what you can say and and do you were given the script in kind of sort of covert way and
7: yes um, they they, they don't really send out scripts and you get to New Zealand and they kind of give it to you and then you take it off them and you're like trying to you're like pulling at it because they won't let go of it and you're like just give me the script to read and then when I went to leave the airport they rugby tackled me to the ground as I stepped through customs and went through my bag and ripped the script out of my hand saying you can't take it out of the country (laughs) um but of course, you know, because their scripts are, um, you know, they're coveted and, you know, everyone wants to know what they're going to do with it. Um, I want to know what they're going to do with it. But, you know, the thing is about about this um, story is that you can always go to the book. So, but as much as I don't want to tell people how it ends, you know, it is, you know, you can go read the book, but we haven't, we haven't finished making it yet. So I don't know how they're going to end it. Do you have... Um schedule sort of beyond beyond the return to New Zealand in place do you have anything you can share with us about what's coming up next for you I just wrapped on a film called Black Sky um, which was shot in um, Detroit and that's like a tornado movie Um, so yeah, I, I, I think I wrapped on, on uh, the Friday and was filming that on the Monday morning from New Zealand. But yeah, I spent uh, 40 days very wet in a 100-mile-an-hour wind machines. But it's found footage, which is another... It's going to be interesting because it's in a similar way that, that Peter is making a new kind of cinema. This is, you know, interesting camera work and, you know... So, yeah, that's next. Okay. So you were in on sound stages rather than out in the Midwest doing both. Twister. Or both. both. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've never done wire work in the street dangling from a crane, and, and they, they did a lot of stunts for real. Like They dropped an 18-wheeler truck in front of me as I was running, and they drew a line on the road and said, whatever you do, don't step over this line. <laughs> um, and we were sprinting in with wind machines behind us, so trying to stop in front of a falling truck was – I love it, though. Wow. Because so, it's real. So you've either been sucked into a tornado or picked up by an eagle or... Eagle, oh, yeah. <laughs> just want to
5: go them. home for Christmas and just sit down for a bit. <laughs> Be quiet. Um, lastly, we have to let you go, but um, I don't know if people know that you had a part in The Phantom Menace, and I believe
7: you had a line of dialogue in that, and I wonder if you remembered it. I said, nobody's on board, sir. Oh. But I've hunted that film I cannot find myself in the film I think I don't know whether I ended up as a CGI character or or they cut me or something I can't find it but if you look for that line if you look for the subtitle of that line then that's me saying it and maybe off camera okay Maybe you can say it don't, again at the Battle of Five Armies with yeah. the Eagles. <laughs> Nobody's on board, sir. Is there a boat or a spaceship in the Battle of the Five Armies? Oh, maybe a big eagle lands and we will try and get on board of the eagle. Okay. I was stretching, but I was thinking eagles <laughs> anyway. <Try. laughs> Richard, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much
5: for um, for taking the time to talk to us. You're welcome. Nice Best still out with that. Dwarf mania.
4: <laughs> How was hunky Richard Armitage, Nick? A very nice chap And uh, much taller in real life Surprisingly (laughs) (laughs) He was convinced that he had met us before Which was a bit weird Because
0: we haven't met him Maybe he's a listener to the podcast Maybe he feels he's met you Hello Richard (laughs) I don't think he listens I don't think so Uh, Okay And now after a quick breather at Rivendell Let's push on Into the reviews section Amazingly some movies Are coming out this week That aren't the Hobbit, So let's start there With uh, Smashed A Tale of a Couple Played by the brilliant Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad And Mary Elizabeth Winstead From Not Breaking Bad Who descend into alcoholism
2: Yes. Um, so this is uh, a pretty kind of tough drama about alcoholism and addiction. Um, you know, it's kind of reminiscent of the sort of, you know, the days of wine and roses uh, and that kind of thing. Um, so it's a it's a young couple. Winstead is kind of very much the, the, the centre of the story. Um, both of them are heavy, heavily into um, alcohol in particular, whatever else they can get their hands on if necessary. And, um, and basically her life is a kind of a mess I mean she, you know we see her she's a teacher and she's you know throwing up in school she's kind of desperate it's a very unvain performance she doesn't look pretty she doesn't look glamorous she you know she really kind of leaves it all hanging out there um, should be a breakthrough for her if there's any kind of justice in the world mm. um, and and you know she gradually gets to the point where she decides she needs to kind of kick this she needs to get help but she's still obviously in a relationship with him and he has no time for any of this um he calls Alcoholics Anonymous assholes anonymous, you know, he's not exactly supportive of that decision okay. and so that makes it um, yet more difficult so yeah, really kind of um, you know, indie feeling uh, very realistic feeling portrayal of alcohol and given that in the movies it's sometimes used as kind of shorthand for somebody being serious or you know, having gone through difficult things in their lives and it, it's not really treated very seriously, you know, the sort of the, the maverick cop who just has a Few glasses of whiskey at the end of the day. This is very much not that. This is very much the ugly um, side of the disease of alcoholism. Yeah,
0: okay, and we give it four stars.
2: We did, yeah, great, great performances. I mean, Aaron Paul, obviously from Breaking Bad, is never, never not good, um, and, and is very good here. But it's really Mary Elizabeth Winstead's film.
0: The O word has been mentioned. I think she's been pushed out of the race by other people, but.
2: She could be in there. I think the best actress category is not as strong this year as it has been a couple of other years recently. I think she could be in with a chance of a nomination. It's probably too low profile for her to win,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, but if they give her a bit of a, a push, you know, we, we could see her up there.
0: Okay. Excellent news! Four stars for that one. That's kind of the main, the secondary, the main, the secondary release this week. Yes, I think so. Smash because other films out this week include uh, Baraka, uh, codenamed Geronimo, which is a Kilbin Laden picture that had his thunder stolen by Zero Dark Thirty. There's a the French thriller Love Crime with uh, Kristen Scott Thomas. There's Jonathan Demme's Neil Young Doc Neil Young Journeys, which is for all fans of Neil Young and Jonathan Do- Demme Docs, I guess. <laughs> and uh, Tinkerbell The Secret of the Wings 3D. You know, for kids. But all will pale into insignificance before the might of The Hobbit, an unexpected journey, the first of the trilogy prequel to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which stars Martin Freeman as Bilbo Baggins, a hobbit who's recruited by Gandalf the Grey and a gang of dwarves who wish to reclaim their ancient heritage from the evil dragon... Sm- Smog. Smaug. smaug 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 We had smaug. Clarified by Philippa Boynes yes. And uh, Martin Freeman Or indeed by listening to how it's pronounced in the film as
4: well which <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As you're yeah. here we got into a bit of a Smaug-off with Martin Freeman <laughs> S- We had a Smaug-off So
0: apparently Peter Jackson pronounced it Shmaug Shmaug But he's got a New, New Zealand tint
2: Yeah right. He says fosh and chops so, Fosh you know. and chops
0: nil fun Got some fosh um, for Smaug <laughs> Hot shot Hobbit mating um, <laughs> Bilbao present uh, In a year of eagerly anticipated movies The Hobbit is perhaps up there Perhaps even above Skyfall The Avengers and the Dark Knight Rises In terms of anticipation Let's see where, where the chips fall In terms of box office But Does it deliver? Nick Bobanus, You are our Lord of the Rings expert huh. I'm coming to you Well
4: Yeah I mean It's it's a bit of a mixed baggins Excuse me Oh uh, no It's uh, It's kind of been Unfairly ganged up on I think by critics it's had a bit of a rough ride in the last yeah. week or two um, by lots of people complaining about various things but taken on it's own merits it's it's a perfectly decent film there's loads of good stuff in it I think the main problems that it has are ones which result from it following on Lord of the Rings originally yeah. Jackson was going to make The Hobbit as uh, one film back in 1995, 96 with Harvey Weinstein uh, and then going to make two Lord of the Rings films Uh, which I think would have made this a little bit easier for him if he had done it that way around because Mm. the scale of this is is not as big as Lord of the Rings. There's not as much at stake. There's not as much danger uh, on this particular quest. Certainly not in this film anyway. And also a lot of the beats in this film are familiar for people
0: who love the Rings films. So there's a big pit stop at uh, at Rivendell, for example, to...
4: Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. if you if you take Fellowship of the Ring and put it alongside this, they, they start at Bag End, there's a sequence where they go to Rivendell, yeah. you know, they go through the mountains, and they encounter goblins, and then they come out the other side, and so it's, it hits a lot of the beats, and they they even, you know, he throws in gags, there's gags with Gandalf that are riffs on stuff in Fellowship, like him banging his head on the, the lamp, and making the room go all dark and scary and stuff, which, which are nice, but I Feels it kind of reminds you that you've seen a lot of this stuff already.
2: Yeah, I thought I thought that was a, a little bit of a problem. I mean, I think you know, they, um, uh, talking to to the people involved, they say, well, if we if we had made the Hobbit first, actually, it would have been a very different thing because making the Lord of the Rings first, because it was a slightly higher profile and a higher prestige and a, a more adult story, they were able to get this amazing cast. And, you know, if you just went to Ian McKell and said, we're making The Hobbit, would you get him for Gandalf? Maybe not. But having made The Lord of the Rings, obviously, that was a bit of a more enticing prospect. So I think, you know, to that extent, it benefits from The Lord of the Rings having come first. But I I had the same feeling that, you know, because it's a lighter story, because it's a more childish story, um, they're trying to graft onto the same tone and the same world that they created for Lord of the Rings and the fit isn't always 100% It's sometimes it, 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 it it's a little bit uneasy and it's it, it kind of feels like the Hobbit is, is really struggling to kind of fill those shoes a little bit yeah, but I have,
4: think the, the over familiarity is going to be less of a problem in the, the other two films I think, yes. because they start going into new places I mean the way I felt about Lord of the Rings was they were always pushing into places that, and characters that you hadn't seen before which made the world seem bigger and bigger as yeah. you go along and this one it almost feels like it's shrinking the world a little bit but I think mm. when you start getting into these new Lands and new characters and bringing Stephen. Yeah, Fry's I think that
2: will definitely help.
4: Yeah. Um, now the stuff I, I really liked about this film, it brings in the dwarves in a major way, which you haven't seen before. And I thought the prologue was fantastic, like giving mm. you that glimpse of Erebor, little bits, little teasers of Smaug, yeah. and and just I loved all that all that kind of dwarf stuff. And yeah. I thought the dwarf characters, you know, a lot of people are griping about how this film could do with being a lot shorter, but actually, I thought you didn't get to know a lot of these characters as well what I saw I really liked I wanted more of that stuff I, th-
2: I think they did well in not you know giving uh, struggling to give every dwarf you know five minutes I mean because I think that could have made it feel very long so you're gradually beginning to pick some of them out of the crowd you know you've, you've by the end of this film you've got a pretty good handle on you know Philly and Killy you've got Thorin Definitely down. You know sure. who he is. You're beginning to get a sense of how the other guys fit in. Um,
0: and frankly, not all of them are integral to the plot. Well, not, absolutely. I mean, even in
2: the book, you know, if you if you actually read read back over the book and try and you know nail down, well, what exactly is it that Biffer <laughs> yeah. does?
4: Actually, not a heck he of a biffs. lot specifically. I've seen the film twice now, and actually on the second viewing. You you can spot stuff. There's a lot going on on screen. You've got these 13 characters, so it's bedlam when you, when you first meet them and they all turn up. And it's but actually watching it on the second go, I was spotting little sight gags and and things. Yeah. And then there's loads of stuff that Jackson's put in there yeah. that you start to go, oh okay, right. There's, there's a whole procession of gags with the. the Dwarf with the ear trumpet. Yeah, you don't. I didn't really spot the first time. And no, those
2: were funny. Actually. Yeah, and <laughs> the, the,
4: there's tons of stuff like that. You know, there's a one of the dwarves has got an axe head buried in his forehead, mm-hmm. and that doesn't really come across in the in this cut. But you kind of spot him doing little bits of business to the side. Yeah, it I, definitely I think,
0: it definitely feels for me to me to be a much lighter kid friendly version of Lord of the Rings. For example, I was thinking about you know I we've been I've been grabbing in the office about. Maybe there's there's a scene when the dwarves are first introduced to Bilbo, and then there's a song about washing up. Washing up. There's a song about washing up, and I started as I watched the film, I thought, well, this could be cut. No, this this could go Loved it But on, in retrospect Thinking about it now I think Well no actually This is this the sort of thing That sets this movie Apart from the Lord of the Rings yeah. it's not just Not a, just sets it apart From the Lord of the Rings, I think that sets it apart From other directors Which other director Would do <laughs> These characters
4: Doing something about washing up yeah, And That's I a good thought, point so pure Jackson That's
0: a good point I got I goosebumps
4: think, Watching it I was like This is insane
2: I really this enjoyed that Actually big. I have to say
4: So that, that stuff will be divisive yeah. And obviously Radagast Which I'm sure We'll come on to in a second
2: I I liked Radagast I didn't have Quite as so much fun With uh, some of his trappings If you will. um but I think we, we haven't talked about the most, the, I think the best thing about this film yet in some ways, which is Martin Freeman. I think he is note perfect casting as Bilbo and he just knocks it out of the park. He he more than anything else in the film, I think, nailed the, the tone and walked the line between the sort of the the portentousness and the and the kind of the weight of Lord of the Rings and the the funniness and the warmth of the Hobbit. I think, you know, he he just kind of tied it all together for me and I thought he was
0: absolutely terrific. I think he's brilliant. I think he's fantastic in the in the film's best sequence, which for me is Riddleton in the dark. Yeah. yeah I agree yeah. with Gollum. Um, and I think going back to the your idea about you know no other director would would do stuff. I like guess, I think there's a weirdly enough, I'm not entirely sure how confident Jackson was going into Fellowship of the Ring. And I think you know it's a it's a great achievement. It's a brilliant film. Um, and I know Nick, you really 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 love those movies. Yeah. But I think there's a new confidence about Jackson in these movies. It's just like you know what, I've done it before. I've done this before. I'm going to try new stuff. I'm going to because I can get away with it, and I can. And I just think it's really, really bold and refreshing to see. In the Riddles of the Dark section, I was pleased to discover
3: just how much more emotion Andy circus with the new technology that's available now, they can put the miniature ping pong balls all across his face. So when the head-mounted camera is facing him, his whole face is emoting. Then it's not Weta grafting their image onto his face. It is for his face that comes through. And there are some very emotional moments, naturally, in Riddles in the Dark, which for yeah. for me, were, were part, partly the, the best individual moments were seeing Gollum's
4: face and those big eyes looking up at you. I thought Gollum was fantastic in this, and that whole sequence I agree is the best in the film. Yeah, it's um, the best
2: in the book though. It should be, and I think they you know they did well to make sure it was the best. I the
4: think film. that the success of that sequence sort of contrasts and puts a bad light on. Another performance, the Goblin King, which is a character that I didn't think worked for me in this film
0: particularly. I think largely because of CG, he's not entirely successful. I not think of the CG, I,
4: I had a bit of a problem with CG generally with this film, in that I feel like stuff which in the original trilogy they went out and they built these gigantic yeah. sets for real. They built Helm's Deep, the walls. They built, you know, the, the, the Rohan castle on a gigantic hill in yeah. the middle of nowhere. And they had real actors, uh, the guy who played Lertz, who I interviewed recently for a Where Are They Now, would do up to like 10 hours of of prosthetics in a chair and i feel like with this film a little bit that they've gone right that we can do this with cg let's not let's not bother with that and so it feels certainly that that sequence with the goblin town was a bit of a letdown for me i imagined it being a bit more having a bit more fun and personality
2: I think that one of the problems with those sequences may be. Um, uh, I certainly saw it in 48 frames per second. I know a lot has been said about this. Um, personally, I find it incredibly distracting for about the first 10 minutes. And then I, A, settled into it and, B, made a conscious decision not to f- focus on it and just try and kind of just take it in as a film and not kind of focus on little bits of lighting and movement that seemed odd. Um, and for the most part I think it you know it it looks beautiful it looks absolutely stunning. Uh things like flames and falling water look incredible in, in the in that format. But what I thought, where I thought it really suffered was there in the goblin mines and in particular a scene where the dwarves are running and it genuinely does look like Benny Hill running. Uh the 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 the, 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 the speed just feels a little bit off and I think it this may be because the effects people haven't quite got their head around whatever you, it is that you need to do to make Running looked like the right speed in 48 frames per second. Perhaps that's incredibly unfair of me, but that's how it looked.
0: Well, this is why I think 48 frames per second is very divisive because I had absolutely no problems with it whatsoever, and I didn't have a problem with that sequence. And I thought actually it made the 3D and the depth of, of, of field in that sequence look amazing. Well, I thought and for the most part it worked. I think worked, people, but some who, stuff are, stuff people like who are r- <laughs> ranting and raving about it, saying yeah, you know, the ranting and raving, about it and people are going too far in either direction. So I I think Nick, you were telling me about one person on the internet who said is 48 frames per second is so amazing that you can see every drop of water could waterfall.
4: see Ian McKellen's contact lenses.
0: No, you can't. Was you can't. St- you're an idiot. Uh, and the second thing is, the other people who are going, oh, it's the worst thing ever, and it's the worst thing that's ever happened I mean, you're going far too far in the other direction. I Yeah, there's a couple of moments when maybe there's a bit of blur, almost as if you set your new TV up for the first time and you've got to set it on that weird auto-processing frame rate <laughs> mode. Um, never do that. Never do that, but your TV's just set up automatically to do it. Weird. Weird. Um, there's a couple of moments, but you get over very, very quickly, and I had no, no real problems after. I there did. are shots
4: like there's, there's, an overhead shot of, um, of Hobbiton, mm-hmm. where you have Bilbo running out of his house, yeah. and it's just unbelievable. Oh, it's stunning. Like you can yeah. just see every.
2: Blade of Grass. You can see if you can see Ian McCallum's contact lenses, he's not
4: even on frame. <laughs> <laughs> I see, you can see it really into his trailer. The water.
2: But no, I mean, the, the, I mean, there's no question. The colours and the and the detail kind of pops out of the screen. It was absolutely beautiful in that case. And also, what I think it does is, to some degree, negates the darkening effect of 3D uh, to quite a large degree. The, the, the picture feels brighter than most 3D movies. So I'm not uh, a 48 FPS hater. No. I just did. There were a couple of moments where it kind of jarred a little bit. So just be just be prepared and just kind of let it go and just. I enjoyed it, it the more than second
4: time round, although I did get a massive headache after that screening, I'm not sure if it was linked to that or not. But um, <laughs> th- this is the big multimedia. Was it screened 48 fps right? on the giant screen at the Odeon? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. I'm, I'm going to see it again at the IMAX, which is in 24. Um, next week, so that's that's going to be interesting Report so, yeah. back, Agent Desimlin. I will.
3: I personally found it quite distracting and my immediate thought after I watched the film was that I couldn't make up my mind about how I felt about it because I wanted to watch it again without having that on my mind the way Helen put it, I think it's exactly right you need to go in and get over it if you're watching it 48 seconds, don't constantly think, oh why are they doing this, this isn't working for me just enjoy it, but yeah, I do want to see it again, maybe not the amex because I don't think I've got the budget but uh, I will try and see it in 2D whenever I can, um, over the Christmas period I felt that the speed of the camera movement was too quick generally. And there were times when I felt like it just was zipping along so quickly I couldn't, I didn't have the time to notice the contact lenses. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought Martin Freeman, just to echo your point, was so very good. In my mind, Bilbo, when I read the book when I was younger, is a fusty little fusspot. And Martin just nails it. He just gets He's, it. A, he He's amazing. Very, very challenging.
0: Fine. Yeah, yeah, I thought good. it was very good. Yeah,
3: very good. Very solid. He has one of my favourite moments when he, he's, wa- he's walking in slow motion but with 48 frames per second there's fire, there's smoke, there's embers crossing the screen and it's in
4: slow motion, 48 frames per second, I was blown away. I loved it. He does have a slightly ridiculous moment right at the end of the film way are we allowed to talk about this stuff? For this Ooh. isn't a spoiler podcast.
0: I'll save that for for the. For the okay. Yeah. Yes, because yeah. we are we are going to do a spoiler podcast. In fact, we've got two spoiler podcasts. We've got one in which Nick and Phil, as always, Nick and Phil, uh, talked <laughs> to the film's co writer Philippa Boyens, and uh, pumped her for information about the film and the changes they made to the books, etc., etc., etc. That's that's fascinating. That is up, Ali now you're pointing at your crotch uh, yes that's my byword. <laughs> okay, for, for now okay. <laughs> that is terrifying
4: so that is chilling I need that never point at your crotch and say now please <laughs> never do that <laughs> I need that article from you now point your crotch Philippa talked um, about Azog I hope I've pronounced that right she yes. put me up on my pronunciation during the, the interview um, she talked about Azog and I'm curious to hear what you guys thought because one, one of my problems with this film was uh, the sorry who's Azog Just Azog is the
0: Azog the Defiler who's he's the, the pale yeah with the kind of the, you know he's a bit Thorn, like Teehee from Live and Let Die he's they've introduced way. him as Thorn Oakenshield's nemesis yeah, a prosthetic yeah. arm
2: that was my problem with him I'll be honest um, th- with the, the fact that he was Thorne's nemesis so the, the film establishes very early on obviously that uh, a big dragon came along and stole all the dwarf stuff and chucked them out of their houses Fine, yes. And it also establishes early on that Thranduil, King of the Wood Elves, Legolas's Da, Lee Pace, didn't do anything to help. And so Thorin has a grudge there. Thranduil. Fair enough. Then they also establish this specific orc who kills Thorin's granddad when they try to retake the mines of Moria and and establish a new home home there. And it gets to the point where Thorin has all of these grudges against all of these characters. Mm -hmm. And you kind of think, is it actually him? You know, is Thorin the guy?
0: He's a very angry man. He's a, he's very, a very angry man. man. But
2: but so many specific grudges and so many specific people that he's out to but get, that, I just couldn't be having that. With that comes
4: from... It, there's a sense that they're scrabbling around for peril a little bit in, this yes, one. in I the one. Yes, but of I don't Ring, think
2: that having a specific orc after them actually added very much in this. No,
4: I can see why they did it, but I don't think it quite works. Yeah. In the Fellowship of the Ring, they've got danger behind them every step of yes. the way, which really makes that film just the pacing is just like... With this
0: one... If you get rid of all the orcs, there's nothing. They're just walking,
4: like just literally walking.
0: There is this this introduction of, of the necromancer and this... Uh, this dark shadowy presence at Dol Guldur uh, am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, Dol Guldur Dol Guldur yeah. uh, who, who um, does nasty things to Sebastian the Hedgehog and,
1: <laughs> and he raises the
0: witch king of Angmar raises but the witch he, I, I was stunned I was, I was like not the witch king of Angmar I oh, said yeah. I actually yeah. stood up on the screen I was outraged
2: but he's on the other side of the mountain so I mean Nick's right They they don't have anyone behind them apart from Azog um, as they're as they're travelling to Rivendell and to the mountains, but oh. at the same time, do you actually need a chase at that point in the film? I don't think you do. And coming out of the other side, they obviously have all the goblins after them, so he doesn't to write, add anything. And then they have
4: to write a plot beat where the goblins send a little yeah little impi guy on in a bucket to go and tell the orcs that they're there. So you can feel them straining a little bit. To, yes, to keep danger right behind them.
2: I think so, so. Anyway, yeah.
3: Another problem I have for this film isn't Peter Jackson's fault. I personally, I think we can all agree, hopefully you'll agree with me, The Hobbit isn't as well written as The Lord of the Rings as a story. I felt the phrase, I remember that there's a there's a title to one of the chapters which is Out of the Frying Pan Into the Fire and there's a great moment when Ian McKellen says that line, Gandalf says that line and I'm very pleased with that. He
4: says but, the second half of
2: it. Yeah.
3: He shares the line. Oh that's right, absolutely. But what i found quite annoying about the hobbit is it's always it's like they're, they're ping, ping pong balls or you know pinballs just being rattled through a maze and I, I wanted them to just stop for a second and, and maybe learn more about them but they're constantly being bitten their tails are being bitten at i've just found it quite frustrating and they're always it's always deus ex machina every time they get into trouble Ego something happens <laughs> or wizard ex machina <laughs> it just comes I mean. out of the woodwork and suddenly
4: yeah, that's true. I, I think I think some of the some of the flaws are, are many of them are actually to do with the source material. So I just wanted
3: to let that be said. I know Tolkien is some kind of god to to, to many people, but uh, you know, The Hobbit isn't a perfect book.
0: Well, the, okay.
2: Well, he'd agree. He put it in a drawer for seven years and didn't let anyone see it.
0: Uh, we'll talk. About, uh, we'll talk a lot more about this uh, in much more spoilerific detail in the Hobbit spoiler special, uh, which will be up next week. Ali, you are not going to point your crotch again? Uh, nope. Okay good okay so that'll be up next week so that's that done four stars and this might come as a a shock to some people Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of the Lord of the Rings trilogy and this (gasps) film makes me want to go back and revisit them um, because I had a blast with it uh, didn't expect it at all an unexpected blast uh, you could say really enjoyed it didn't mind the 48 frames per second Martin Freeman's fantastic um, yeah it's a bit overlong yeah there may be a couple of sequences that you might cut for length but there's nothing that you could cut uh, that would not, would not affect the story and I was thinking about this and Jackson's very very good about even incidental scenes like when they go to Rivendell again you think oh well did they need to go to Rivendell and then yes they did because a major plot mm. point was resolved during Rivendell did they need to do this yes because something else happened there that meant something so it's it's all it all fits together very
4: very nicely there's loads of lovely moments and I'm yeah. really looking forward to seeing more from, I think, all the dwarf characters. There's not enough of them, but that's a nice problem because I'm sure they'll be expanded in the other films. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm really yeah. looking forward to seeing what's And it's good it
0: fun. And The Last Hour is relentless. It's just relentless action and it's very, very well staged and, and very inventive. And it has the riddles and the dark sequence, which is uh, one of my favourite moments in the across the, all four films, in fact. So there we go, four stars for The Hobbit, which means that we've given the other three, five I think that's fair It's not quite up there But it made me want to go back And revisit him So Yeah Very very good indeed So let's finish off now With the Hobbit himself Martin Freeman came to fame Of course As Tim in the office And since then Has been a dependable And likable presence On films and TV And everything from Nativity To of (laughs) course Sherlock Now he's landed the plum And possibly life changing role Of Bilbo Baggins And he's bloody brilliant As you've heard
5: Nick and Phil Greedy Little disemniences Spoke to him as well Thank you, Martin, for taking the time to chat to us. You're welcome. And, um, You're welcome. Has it been for you? Because you've been in... I mean, Hitchhiker's Guide was not a small movie, but nothing quite no, on this scale. Has it has, yeah. what's been the big surprises for you if you've got your head around the magnitude of all of this?
1: You get your head around it as it goes on, you know. I mean, obviously, uh, you, you have an idea. You don't sign up to play The Hobbit in The Hobbit thinking it's going to be, you know, on ITV4. <laughs> no, no. Uh, you know, on New Year's Eve. But... um but again, you know, you can know something intellectually, but until you go through it viscerally, it, it doesn't quite hit you. And I think, you know, it's hitting me in all kinds of ways um, on a daily basis. Really. just I, I mean, I've never been, as I, as I was on this from late 2010, you know, congratulated for a job I hadn't done yet. <laughs> and congratulated for a job that, that people were a long way
5: from seeing yet. Uh what did you say to people when they were kind of just thanks yeah
1: because once it became public news that you know I was cast as Bilbo it was really nice I mean there were a lot of people who were very very pleased for me I mean I'm sure there were some who weren't but you know they didn't come up to me the ones who came up to me uh, were were all very positive and uh, yeah so so that alone was weird and then you know you go around cities like New York and you know your face is everywhere everywhere so it's and that's kind of mad you know but I'm all right. I'm not 20. I know how to handle that. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you think you'd handle it if you were 20? I might believe it. <laughs> you know, really? Like, yeah, you, of course you might. Mean, you might. I a hobbit. You might. Or you might think I'm God or something. You know, you might just think you're important. And I think that's the, um, and obviously I think I am important. But uh, but I think you two are as well. You know, I think, you know, as long as we all know we're important, we're okay. As long <laughs> as, um, but I think being on a poster, it might translate into thinking I'm just more important than everybody else. And fortunately, because I've been around the block a bit, um, I know, I'm not. Yeah, it's good to have that perspective. It's vital. It's vital, especially in the maelstrom of something like this. But then, you know, I I kind of. But Elijah Wood was, you know, 20 when it all came out, Mm. and and he couldn't be a more
5: unchanged, down to earth man, you know. So it just
1: depends on the individual. Yeah, for sure.
5: Who's been. What's been the most kind of outlandish response? Because you've been in Tokyo. I gather Richard was saying you've got microphones thrust at you, and they were looking for some sort of. Either some dwarfish singing, or I don't know what they were hoping. Well, for. it felt like
1: a walk down. It felt it felt like a sort of panto walk down. You know, with me and uh, and Richard and Andy and Peter um, on this stage, and it did feel like the the world's sort of most miscast boy band. Um, yeah, a, a hysterical audience is going back, you know, when you kind of think well, again, very nice, very gratifying, but you almost feel it's got nothing to do with me. Do you know what I mean? This is this is your thing. Whatever whatever's going on is this is your affair. It's um yeah, I just think it's it's important to keep it in perspective, but at the same time to try and enjoy it. Probably my uh my tendency is probably too much to make things sober and don't fly past your nest and don't think this is, you know, means anything. But actually, if it means something for people that they want to go mad, then I'll I'll let them do that as long as they don't do it outside
5: my house, you know. It must be strange going to, to Hobbiton for the first time because it's almost kind of like it became almost like a sort of museum piece, I suppose, yeah. after Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And then suddenly it's back as a working set. Yes, yes, Is there yes. a sense of that?
1: Yeah, you could, I mean, yeah, we were very aware that, you know, people would come and see Hobbiton and people come and visit that part of New Zealand uh, as a result of the films. Um, now yeah. they've made them, all the, all the front doors, all the sort of Hobbit's front doors up to now were sort of temporary you know they were kind of it was just a fascia sort of mm-hmm. thing but now you can go in you can open the doors they're all sort of workable mini dwellings you know so they've made them permanent so they will be there for decades and decades and decades now
4: I was, I was just going to I'm curious uh, with the extended editions for yeah. The Lord of the Rings is there much that we haven't seen from the first
1: film That it's. A- oh Christ yeah yeah loads I mean I don't even I can't even think what with all of it but I, I, I can think of scenes that aren't aren't in it uh, that I don't even know w- they might make it to the second film. I don't, I, you know, I'm not sure. Um, but there are, yeah, there are, there are parts where I think, oh, that's a shame that I didn't get in. But you know, unless the film is going to be a week long, of, of course, you <laughs> I'm know, sure and plenty even of people Pete, and would even watch Pete it. won't do that. You know, so yeah, inevitably stuff has to go. Yeah, is there any particular moment you're thinking of? I'm thinking of, like there were there were, there were Bilbo and Gandalf bits that I that I've re- always liked. You know, because doing those with Ian was. Uh, just a real pleasure A real real pleasure You know He, he is so good And easy To work with uh, he, He's one of those actors
5: Who makes you better yeah. You see his um, Extras Extras yeah, 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 yeah he's lectures, talking yeah.
1: about. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that. He was saying, "I was, you know, it was certainly, you know, it was like the funniest script he's ever been sent." Yeah. That's not his approach on set, though. I think. it? <laughs> no, 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 it's not. He's the least pompous, least. Uh, he's the man least likely to ever give someone advice or
5: ever likely to play status. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you and Benedict did probably didn't cross paths. No, on only, this. only
1: socially. We just said hello. You know, I, I was uh, coming back as he was leaving, so we literally saw each other. For like a, a day,
5: uh, and that was it. Because you know, we work-wise, we didn't. No. But he was out there, and he was saying Andy Circus was saying that he was working, giving him. He gave him a little bit of advice on the performance capture side right, of things okay, right, beforehand. Okay. Did yeah. you talk to him much about about the Hobbit, or have you just kind sort of kept kept?
1: No, not really. No, I, I mean, you know, we haven't seen each other mm. that much. You know, um, and I guess when next time we do see each other, we'll be thinking about Sherlock. But um, yeah, no, I, I'm, it'll be very good, I'm sure. as yeah.
5: Schmaug <laughs> a schmoag. schmog. Yeah, <laughs> we're very excited about your latest reunion with Edgar Wright because you're something yeah. of a good luck charm for Edgar. Well, right? I, don't know know, I, I don't know, I don't know about right. that. I don't know about that. It'd be probably me
1: and the five other people who are always in his film. <laughs> um, no, it's just it's a mate job. You know, it's just it's just like you know they're they're friends. So and they wrote me a lovely letter when I was in Middle Earth saying we really really want you to do this film. And, uh, and, I you know, I think it's it's more a kind of thing that they just want to hang out with people they like <laughs> as opposed to, um, you know, you have to play this. But I don't know. I mean, I th- they're very kind and they say, no, you have to do this. Is we really But I, don't know. I think they just want their mates in it, really. I've been following uh, Simon Pegg's
4: tweets recently right. about it seems to be a lot of night shoots.
1: Yeah, there have been a few. And they're always... I mean, you don't even need to do that many night shoots to feel like you've always been doing night shoots. You know, once you've done three... You kind of can't remember a time you were doing normal day shoots, you know, because it's so grueling. Um, and Edgar, you know, doesn't quit. You know, I mean, like he he will carry on until he's happy. Yeah. Uh, so night shoots can nearly turn into day shoots anyway, you know. But um, I I really like it. I must admit I'm having a, I'm having a blast on it. You know, obviously the bits that I've done on their stuff before is is definite kind of just matey stuff, uh, just coming in like doing little favors or whatever. But um, you know, this is this is the most time I've spent on set with him and I really like it I really I mean you know Simon is a a, a close friend anyway and he'll be fantastic in the film Edgar watching Edgar work over the course of weeks as as opposed to just like a day um, yeah my admiration for him uh, grows and grows I think he's he's truly uh, quite a visionary director I think you're both big music lovers
5: and I know. Edgar
1: yeah 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 do Absolutely. you talk music yeah. a
5: lot with him Have we haven't
1: really no what do we t- I don't know what we talk we talk about bad films a lot you know we talk <laughs> about um, we, we enjoy some terrible films but what's your favourite mutual bad film well he's, enjoy- he's he's lent me a couple
5: um, <laughs> my, my favourite bad oh god I've, what is mean, it like Martin I've got a couple of really terrible films
1: for you <laughs> <laughs> well wouldn't it be awful if, it, if I was in those films if it, you know like I've got a couple of terrible films and I'd be thinking hang on that's some of my best work um I don't know, we do talk about music a little bit, I suppose. I know, I'm aware he's a very big music fan, but he's just just very sweet, you know, he's a very, um, I find him quite delightful, actually. He's approachable, he's down to earth, he's very succinct with his direction. Um, He's able to, I find he's able to say things to me as an actor that that I, I think from someone else I'd slightly balk at and slightly think, well, that's not going to fucking work. You know, but actually I think, well, no, it will work because I, I know him, you know. Um, He's quite bold with what he can ask you to do sometimes. Because, yeah. you know, stylistically it's not, it's not like this is a character-driven piece. It's not, you know, it's it's like his, his style, the story and the timing and all that has to be absolutely paramount, you know, so you kind of think, well, even if it doesn't feel right, I know in the edit the timing of that is going to make it look brilliant, mm. you know, so... Yeah. So
5: there's I guess a trust of that. I've seen it work over and over again. And I
1: like his work and I know it'll work.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking about Edgar was talking about working with Peter and and getting him down for hot fars and there was talk of him coming in doing a bit of second year to Peter. And their films are very different, but I wondered if as as directors to work with they're both very passionate they are very down to earth as you have to be I suppose you know to see your project through uh, are
1: there similarities
5: for you as an actor working with them or are they very they have a different approach on SAD
1: they haven't I mean they are I mean I don't know I couldn't even name what their different approach was but they are different people I mean they've got you know they're both 12 year olds with beards you know they're they're essentially (laughs) children with facial hair you know what I mean Who, who are in charge of their bigger toys now you know so they've both got that about them they're totally driven yeah. but again you know every director you know you have to be because it's such a lunatic job if you weren't totally driven you know you, by day five of having a shit time or feel thwarted or feel frustrated you just give up so you, you do need that single mindedness they've obviously both got that um,
5: have a very Merry Christmas I hope you have a thank good time you very much in you too thanks Martin <laughs> thank Nice guy Good All good Yes
1: good.
0: Again Very nice man Excellent Nice man Good And that's it for this week's Empire podcast uh, Join us next week for our last bout of film related fun this year Oh no I know It's almost like Christmas is upon us or something uh, We'll be talking to Chris McQuarrie The director of Jack Reacher Juan Antonio Bayona The director of The Impossible And Colin Trevorrow Director of Safety Not Guaranteed And that's a whole lot of directors And who knows who Someone else may still pop up um, Don't forget Don't forget as I said, the first of our two Hobbit spoiler specials is now up, uh, in which Nick and Phil grill Philip Boyens and get her to spill loads of juicy secrets. And the second one, in which we talk about the Hobbit in the style of buffoons down the pub, will be out next week. And that is it. So, it's goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye from Ali. Goodbye. Goodbye from Helen.
1: Farewell. And goodbye from me. See you next week.